are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. There's a song that I've been listening to this week, and I'll read you some of the lyrics to it. It says, He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. He is here. Holy, holy. I'll bless His name again. He is here. Listen closely. Hear Him calling out your name. He is here. You can touch Him, and you'll never be the same. Can I tell you what makes all the difference in the world? Understanding the fact that God is here. More than anything else in this world, more than food for my table, more than shoes for my feet, more than clothes on my back, more than anything else in this world, I must have, I need to be in the presence of God. I remember shortly after I got saved and after we moved to North Carolina, we had our first home. And many nights I spent the night awake in the spare room. We didn't have enough furniture to fill a house, so it was just an empty room. And I got into that room, and I got in that room alone with just my Bible. And I'd read the Bible all through the night, and I'd pray. And I wouldn't sleep the night. I'd just pray through the night and read through the night. And I remember being in that room with no furniture in it, and I was battling back and forth whether or not to quit my job and go into the ministry if God wanted me to preach or if it was just me wanting to preach and going back and forth with what God wanted me to do with my life. And I remember being in that room long into the night and praying and reading my Bible and I don't know if I can fully explain it to you unless you've been there, but there were moments when I was in that room where it was very thick. It was almost tangible. It felt like God was there. If I were to open my eyes, I thought maybe I would see God in that room with me. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't always sense His presence that way, but I have sensed His presence that way, and it changed my life. A preacher from the past said, I want the presence of God Himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. And I think amen to that. Like the branch needs the vine. Like the candle needs the fire. Like the stream needs the spring. You and I must have regular experiences with the presence of God. Moses had a large task. It was his duty to lead God's people to the promised land. Moses felt the weight of his calling upon him. And Moses said to God, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. And then Moses begged God and said, I beseech thee. Show me thy glory. Now that might sound like a strange thing to modern Christian ears. We don't talk much about the tangible presence of God. But can I say that's a theme regularly taught in the Bible. I want to ask the question tonight, have you ever really been in the presence of God? Have you ever prayed like Moses? I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Have you ever had an undeniable experience? Or maybe we could even call it an encounter with the unmistakable presence of the Lord. Have you ever been in a place, in a spot, in a meeting, in a prayer room where it was so holy and so heavenly and so utterly inhuman that you had to cry out like the song says, He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. Now we understand from reading our Bibles that in a sense God is always present. The big Bible college word for that is God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere present and God is nowhere absent. 
a man asked a young person and says, why do you believe there's only one God or why is there one God? And he said, because my God is every place and doesn't leave room for any other gods. And I say, amen to that. Before you get to a location, God is there. After you leave that spot, God is there. God is everywhere present and nowhere absent. God is in good times and bad. God is in high times and low. God is in the beginning and in the end. God is in the funeral home, the delivery room. God is always present. Psalm 139, the psalmist said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And you'll never be anywhere in life that God has not already been. God is omnipresent. Not only is God omnipresent or always present in a sense, but God doesn't just dwell around us. He also dwells, thank God for this, within us. Now you know from studying the Bible, we understand that when you got born again, you were born again by the Holy Ghost of God. The Holy Spirit of God birthed you, converted you, saved you, if you will. He's that, that agent of God working within to make you a new creature. And when you were saved, you become in a house, the inhabitants of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says He seals us until the day of redemption. Sometimes we'll pray the prayer and say, oh, God, I pray you'll show up. But the truth of the matter is, he showed up whenever you and I walked on this property because you brought him with you. The Spirit of God, which is God, dwells on the inside of the believer. He's our teacher. He's our guide. He illuminates the Scripture. He empowers us to serve God. So we can say, in one sense, God is always present around us. We can say, in another sense, God is always present within us. But while there's the omnipresence of God around us and the indwelling presence of God within us, there is also a tangible, holy, almost indescribable, manifested presence of God that visits with His children from time to time. I'm talking about those moments when God would lead His people forth in a pillar of cloud. I'm talking about those times when God would come down like on Mount Carmel. I'm talking about those moments like we read about on Pentecost when Peter preached. I'm talking about those moments like happened in Wales and New England and in, New, uh, and in uh, uh, other places across our country as revival swept across our land. You see, whenever we say we want revival, really we're saying we want the manifested presence of God. Whenever we ask for an awakening, we're asking for the manifested presence of an almighty God. When you long for your soul to be you're asking for that manifest presence of a holy God. When we're looking for fire or fuel added to our fire, we're looking for that manifested presence of the Spirit of God. You see, for the Christian, getting into God's presence is what makes orthodoxy alive. It takes dead letter and makes it a living word. It takes an inanimate rock and turns it into a lively stone. There is no substitute. There is no, uh, no other uh, no other. A, a thing you could put in its place. There's nothing that can take the place of having, realizing, knowing, and experiencing that kind of presence of God. The presence of God revives the spirit. The presence of God revamps our prayer life. The presence of God refreshes the soul. The presence of God releases those dried up tears. The presence of God resurrects a burden, returns our first love. There's nothing like it. The presence of God will give us fresh vision, settles our doubts, drives away our fears, helps our hurts, and resets our affections on things above. 
We must have His presence. Getting into God's presence revolutionizes the Christian experience. It takes that truth that lays dead and dormant in your heart and brings it back to life again. The presence of God will totally turn a church upside down so that, that from that moment on, that church will never be the same for the glory of God. Can I say in our generation, that's why we find so many churches trying to gimmick their way to God and market their way to God and entertain their way to God because they don't want to pay the price to get the presence of God to fall upon that place. Can I say you can keep your drum, you can keep your big screen, you can keep your bouncing ball, you can have your praise band. I'd rather have the real, unmistakable, authentic presence of God when we meet together as a church. Can I say I need the presence of God personally and we need it corporately. Charles Finney said, if the presence of God is within a church, the church can draw the world in. But if the presence of God is not in a church, the world will draw the church out. And that's what we're seeing in our generation. Isaiah prayed the prayer and said, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and come down. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And I hope you can get a hold of it tonight. There is nothing in this world that can equal the pleasure of knowing that you're in the presence of God. Have you ever been in His presence? Have you ever felt Him so close? Have you ever felt His touch upon your life? I know God is always there and God is always aware of us. But can I say when's the last time you were aware of Him? When's the last time you came to church? Not to get out but to get in. When's the last time you weren't here to critique? You were here to worship God. When's the last time you came not with an agenda but with an adoration and an affection for the God who saved your soul and you bumped into Him at church? Every Christian needs that. Every Christian family needs that. Every ministry needs that. Every preacher needs that. Have you ever been in His presence? Have you ever prayed the lyric of the song, Sweet Holy Spirit, Sweet Heavenly Dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love? Have you ever witnessed God in such a way that you felt like Paul and said it's unlawful for me to even explain to you what I just experienced? I thank God for Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it's a great thing to understand Christ around you working for the glory of God. And tonight as we look at Revelation 4, I want us to consider a pattern set forth by these 24 elders for getting into the presence of God. And can I say if we're going to live in His presence for all eternity, we ought to hunger to have His presence every day. In Revelation chapter 4, we're riding shotgun with John into eternity. He's in the throne room in the Spirit. Through his pen, we get to see what he saw and get to hear what he heard. Now you read through this chapter, and I mentioned this before, there are several themes in this chapter. There's a door, and we know that door is Jesus Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. There's a calling up, that voice like a trumpet that says, come up hither. And by the way, one day soon, we'll probably hear that same call for you and I to come up hither. In this chapter, there's a throne. And it's not you on the throne. It's not me on the throne. It is the Lord. It is the Lamb. It is God Almighty on the throne. But there's another theme. We find worship, or I hate to even use the word because liberals have ruined it, but there's a worship service going on around the throne. For the purpose of the message tonight, I want us to think about this heavenly worship. Now, when you think about worship and put it in context of eternity, you notice that worship is holy. 
Worship is humble. Worship is sacrificial. And worship always exalts the Father, the one on the throne, not the one worshiping. When you get into chapter 4, we witness what happens in God's presence. And you can't dispute it. When you truly get into God's presence, you will worship the Lord. You see, in God's presence, there's no time for debates. In God's presence, there's no time for, uh, for quarrels. In God's presence, there's no time for problems. In God's presence, there's no time for church splits. In God's presence, there's no time for tweets. In God's presence, there's no time for trash talk. In God's presence, there's no time uh, for causing issues in the, in the presence of God. In God's presence, you say, what is it? I tell you what it is. It is worship. Can I say that would remedy every malady in every local church if we could just understand that we don't come to see a man we came to see him we came to see God and when we're in his presence it takes care of everything else I feel sorry for those petty Christians that are self-absorbed and self-centered and come to church to look for problems and don't come to church to see Jesus it's a good day when we understand that we're not here to see each other though that's a blessing but we've got to see him and when you get in his presence everything else grows strangely dim now I understand tonight probably some of you are already nervous because I'm using that word worship. And I understand that liberal churches and liberal Christians have hijacked that word like a terrorist does an airplane and they've wrecked it. I understand that. But listen, can I say that's a Bible word? That's a good word? And that's a word repeated in the scripture? And just because you say, well, I'm not wired that way. You say, but I, I'm not, I don't care what Christians use for their excuses to be dead and cold in church. Whenever you get in God's presence, you're going to worship Him. You're not going to be able to help it. It's just what happens in His presence. In verse Verse number four, we're introduced to these 24 elders. These 24 elders are sitting in 24 chairs that surround the throne. On the throne is the Lord. Let's not forget that. On the throne is the Lord. Around that throne are these elders. On the throne is the presence, if you will. Around the throne are those enjoying that presence. In verse four, the Bible said, and round about the throne, were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now verse 10 tells us what they do. The four and twenty elders fall down. That's worship. Before him that sat on the throne and worship him. Worship is not look at me. Worship is look at God that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. And here's what they say. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Imagine what John is seeing. John is translated in the spirit from Patmos to eternity. He's looking at the throne room. He sees that throne, an emerald rainbow about it, lightning radiating, thunder emanating from that throne. He sees a sea of glass that looks like crystal. The beasts are flying within and without around the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. And now he sees 24 elders. These 24 elders are wearing robes of white. On their heads are crowns of pure gold. Now they begin to worship the one who's on the throne. It's interesting. The beast worship God because that's their command. Those elders worship God because of something they have experienced. They worship him for who he is. They worship him for what he's done and they worship him for what he's doing right now. They worship him by saying he is worthy. They worship him by saying he created and then they worship him by saying he's in control of all that he created. Now can I say that's a good basis for our worship 
worship as well. You ought to worship God for who he is. Not just because of what he does, but because of who he is. If God didn't do anything, he's still worthy of our worship tonight because he's God. But then they say, let's worship him because of what he's done. He's the creator. He created it all out of nothing. He spoke and it all appeared, scooped out the seas, trudged out the rivers, sculpted the mountains, laid out the plains, gave life to every living thing. I think I could worship him because of that. But then they say, you did it for your pleasure. That means he's in control of it all too. I don't know about you, but I'm glad our God is big enough to control it all. I'm glad he holds us in the palm of his hand. He keeps the world in its orbit and they worship him because of that. Now, consider these 24 elders. You read it and it's obvious they're righteous, they're royal, and they're overcomers. They're around the throne. They're seeing the one who's upon the throne. They're in the very presence of God. No doubt about it, this is a special group of very peculiar people around the throne. They're in the most wonderful place, either in earth or in eternity. They're in the very presence of God. First, let's think about who these 24 elders are. Now, some things in the Bible are used as representative of other things. The book of Revelation especially makes use of types and symbols and representative terms to teach us about God's purpose and God's plan. So you say, who are these 24 elders? Well, the best way to answer a Bible question is with the Bible. I'll wait on your car horns to get hooked back up. We're supposed to compare Scripture with Scripture, not Scripture with scholarship, not Scripture with software, and not Scripture with something else. Say amen right there. I won't tell anybody you said amen. So you read your Bible. First, their title is elder. If you study it out, elder is a New Testament church age term. It's a term reserved for those within the local church. In fact, it's really reserved for those in the position of a pastor of a local church. A pastor is the representative of that larger church body. Also, that word elder is a term of one who has been matured, or we could even use the Bible word perfected. So these are elders. Secondly, their clothing. They're adorned in robes of white. White robes are what the priests would wear when they ministered. Those white robes speak of righteousness. They also speak of overcoming, Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter number 19. These elders are adorned with that white robe. That white robe has been imputed under them, given them to give them access to the throne of God. So we find these elders, they're righteous, robed in white. On their heads, thirdly, are crowns. The crowns tell us these are royal individuals. Now that means they're in the right bloodline. They're part of the right family. They've been rewarded and now they're made regal. Peter refers to a crowd call and calls them a royal priesthood. Fourthly, they're on thrones. If you go back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus has made New Testament believers priests and kings unto God. Fifthly, think about their testimony. The elders around the throne are worshiping the Lord, the Lamb, and they worship Him in chapter 5 and verse 9, saying that He has redeemed them to God by His 
blood. Sixthly, think about how confident they are. They're standing around a throne with lightning and thunder, seven spirits and seven lambs, all of which are pictures of the judgment of God, yet they stand there not shaken, not stirred, not nervous at the judgment of God. Why? Because they're exempt from the judgment of God. They've been given access to the throne room of God. So these are those that are protected from judgment. These are those that are uh, a part of a New Testament church. These are those wrapped in white robes. These are those wearing crowns. These are those made priests and kings unto God. And finally, there's 24 of them around the throne. If you study the Old Testament, the number 24 is significant. In 1 Chronicles 24, 25, 26, also in chapter 23, there's different groupings put in the number of 24. First of all, the priests in the earthly temple were divided into 24 courses. Uh, there's 24,000 Levites that would serve in the house of the Lord. There's 24 prophets that would praise the Lord with instruments. There's 24 porters mentioned that would serve in the temple. Now, can I say there are more, there were more than 24,000 Levites. There were more than 24 prophets. There were more than 24 priests. But those groupings of 24 was determined by the Holy Spirit of God to be representative of the larger body of all of those groups. So from studying the Bible, we know that number 24 does not necessarily represent 24 individuals, but rather those 24 individuals represent a larger assembly. That 24 is a number that points us to a larger whole. Now let me ask you the question. You know your Bible. Who does that group sound like here this evening? I mean that group tonight. That group tonight has been set apart. That group tonight that's been redeemed by the blood. That group tonight that's wearing a robe of righteousness. That group tonight that has a crown and rules and reigns with God. That group tonight that's exempt from the judgment. Can I say angels don't wear crowns. Seraphims don't wear robes. Cherubims don't sit on thrones. Those 24 elders represent none other than you and I who've been born again washed in the blood and saved by the grace of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? I can't even see into tomorrow but by the Bible I can look into eternity and I tell you what I'm doing in forever. I'm around the throne beholding the one upon it and I'm worshiping and praising the Lord. Can I say that ought to stir you up tonight? I know you're in your car and I know you can't get you know too out of hand. You're probably still buckled in and everything. That ought to stir you up tonight. Hey that's where we're at this evening we'll never see hell we'll never touch hell we'll never experience hell we're saved by the grace of God and just like Paul said in the mind of God I'm already seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and around the throne as the ages roll I tell you what we're going to do we're not going to fight we're not going to quarrel we're not going to judge we're going to look at him and cry out he is worthy he is worthy he is worthy in his presence you'll worship if we're going to be in His presence for eternity, don't you reckon we ought to hunger for it right now? In the beginning, God created Adam so he could enjoy God's presence. In eternity, God has redeemed man so forever he can enjoy His presence. But right now, if you're saved, you and I have that wonderful privilege, that access to enjoy His presence. I know God is all around us, but I like those moments when God is not just aware of me, but God invades my space and makes me acutely aware of Him. Have you ever been in a service when you were aware of Him? 
Have you ever heard a song and it spoke to you and it made you aware of him? Have you ever prayed in your prayer closet? You were aware he was there. We'll have it in heaven. But boy, it's good to get it on the way there. I think about the Bible verse, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Charles Spurgeon said what the moon is to the night or the sun to the day or the Nile to Egypt or the dew to the tender herb or the soul to the human body. That is the presence of Jesus to his church. And can I say like never before, there needs to be a church in America that has more than programs and more than politics and more than just putting on a show. We must have the presence of God, his touch, his fingerprint, his DNA on everything that happens in this generation. You can't substitute that with a Wi-Fi connection. You can't substitute that with plush carpet. You can't substitute that with big edifices. We must have the presence of God like John. I I want to lay my head on his breast. Like Ruth, I want to hunger for my Boaz. Like the dove of Song of Solomon, I want to seek for my beloved. Still, all my songs shall be nearer my God to thee. There's no place like that. There's no spot like that. There's no location like that. It can happen anywhere. It can happen anytime. You can get into the presence of God. You can get in his presence in your house. You can get in his presence in your car. You can get in his presence at your office. You can get in his presence in the church house. You can get in his presence in the parking lot. You can get in his presence anytime if you'll just seek his face, hunger for righteousness, and ask God to show up, to show off, and to show out. It'd be a shame. It'd be a shame and a crime against Christianity to get born again, live and die, and never encounter that manifested presence of God. Oh, I fear for that for the younger generation. That all we've been resigned to is hearing about it, reading about it, singing about it, and never experiencing it. Oh, I don't want to wade in the shallow end of the pool. I want to go to the deep water with God. Oh, I thank God for, we do things first class, and that's the way it's supposed to be done. But there's a big difference in being in order and then orchestrating. And we don't want to orchestrate anything. We want it to be in order, but not orchestrated. You say, who runs the service? It better be the Holy Ghost that runs the service. We need His presence more than anything else. Thank God for Martha. But I like what Mary did. You can clean tomorrow, Martha. You can mop tomorrow, Martha. You can decorate some other day, Martha. Right now, Jesus is here. Maybe I'll just sit at His feet. What made the early churches effective? What sparked the flames of revival? What emboldened Christians to stand for God? What drove believers to turn their city upside down? They knew the presence of the Lord. Oh, I want to hunger for that. I want to desire that. I want to echo Paul and say that I may know him. Adoniram Judson, missionary to the Burmese people, won a man to Christ. And the man couldn't remember Adoniram's name. He went back to his village and told them what had happened. And they said, who was it? What was the man's name? He said, I don't remember his name, but his face shone with the glory of God. And so they named him, nicknamed him Mr. Glory Face. Because he'd been in the presence of God and it was obvious. Can I say a lost and dying world will take note when a Christian or a local church is fresh from the presence of God. I'm going to close, but I want to say this. How'd they get in his presence? Number one, they were holy. They'd been redeemed. If you're ever going to have the presence of God, you're going to have to get saved first. Had to get born again. But after you get born again, you're going to have to keep your sin confessed. Stay in his presence. Not only were they holy, they were humble. 
They said, thou art worthy. They didn't say, look at us. They said, let's look at him. Nothing in my, I have nothing to offer God. He's everything. I'm nothing. Lastly, I like this. They were sacrificial or they were honoring. They took those crowns and they cast them at his feet. Must I go and empty-handed? We'll work till Jesus comes. Why? Not for the sake of work, but so that one day we can worship him right. There's five different crowns, and we're not going to preach on that, that I think the Bible mentions Christians can win. But listen, when Jesus comes back, I think it's Revelation 19, the Bible said on his head are many crowns. You know where he gets those crowns from? I don't know, but I think maybe that judgment seat of Christ after he crowns us, and then we see him for who he is, and we cast our crowns back, maybe he'll come back wearing those crowns we cast at his feet. I tell you why I want to serve him here, so that I have something to bless him with up there. Have you ever been in his presence? Have you ever felt him so close? How long has it been since... I think God could show up at most churches and have to wear a name tag that says, Hello, my name is God. Because it's been so long since he's been welcomed on that place. When's the last time a big God bumped into you when you came to a spot like this? I'm going to close out. Brother Martinez is going to sing a song for us. He and Brother Caleb have helped me with this song. I want us to sing it. I want you to think about it as they sing it. But I really want you to take inventory of your heart tonight and ask yourself the question, when's the last time you are in his presence? I mean, not just business as usual, rudder routine, but it was real. And you got in his presence. Think about this song as they sing it. He is here. That's what we need, by the way. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. Amen. That's it. That's what we need. We have to He is here, holy, holy. I'd rather never go to church than go to church dead and not have God meet with us. He wants to meet with us. What about it? Hey, you can raise your hand in your car if you want to. You can worship Him right now where you sit. He's there. Hear Him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch Listen to this. Him. You will never You'll never be, be the same. One taste of what God the is. It'll change you, it'll affect you. Surely the presence of our Lord got is in this place. God doesn't just show up because you flip the light switch I can on. Feel oh, we got a desire in the power. Hunger for him through the night. And his grace. Pay the price in prayer. And I can hear that I might know him. The brush of angels. The power of his resurrection. I see glory. Oh, he wants to meet with us. Surely the have you ever been in his presence? How long has it been? Have you ever felt his presence? So real, so thick, so tangible. We are standing on holy ground. How long has it been since God stirred in your heart? Since you desired more with God, more from God, higher ground. I 
tell you what happens when God shows up. Sinners will get saved. Prodigals will get restored. Homes will get strengthened. Young people will surrender to the ministry when God shows up. Tears will flow. Bitterness will go away. Revival happens when God shows up. just a song we sing but true Lord thank you for the privilege to preach tonight thank you for these people their effort to be in church on Wednesday night I pray you'd help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness to long for your presence in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California led by Pastor Jack Treber For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.